You're listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. You can follow along with the notes for this message and get better connected with our church by visiting church2911.com connect. Now, here's Pastor Rick or another member of our team with this week's message. Do you like sitting and waiting for the phone call? Do you like waiting for the boss's decision? And I... I really was talking about the boss at work, but for you guys, I may be talking about that boss at home waiting for her to make a decision also. Nobody really likes living in limbo. You know, you kind of get to the place sometimes where you just say, make a decision, good or bad. It's better than this, right? Yet so many, and and listen, this this is out of a deep passion that a pastor has for the people that he ministers to every single Sunday is that I hurt for you when you live in limbo because limbo is a bad place to live. See if any of this sounds familiar. Saved but powerless. Wouldn't that be a horrible place to live? In limbo. Saved but powerless. Eternity is settled, but daily I feel defeated. That indescribable joy on Sunday morning in the middle of these songs and and fellowship and quiet depression the rest of the week. Any of that sounding familiar? Alive on Sunday, but dead in sin the rest of the week. Mm, Might come back to that in a little bit. Or maybe... Your limbo is a little bit more like these. Knowing your marriage is hurting, but nothing is changing. Struggling to make ends meet financially, but ignoring the obvious. Losing your kids, but accepting it as inevitable. And I I, got to just say this real quick. If you, you feel your kids are slipping away, don't you dare accept that as inevitable. If you feel like they're slipping away from you, the family, or from God, don't you dare accept that as inevitable. I believe Scripture's speak of. I believe, I believe in the promise of household salvation. And if you've, got, if you've got kids, if you've got family members that aren't Christians, then talk to me. I'll give you the scriptures. We'll pray about it, okay? We need to do that. Don't accept that as inevitable. Sitting on the same chairs every Sunday morning, feeling no closer to Jesus, no stronger in your faith, and not impacting the world around you. That's not living the dream. That's not what... God intended. That's not what he dreamed of you. When you came to him and you asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, that is not what he was talking about. That's not what he's dreaming for your life. Yet I see so many of us live in this dangerous limbo place. It's like, imagine a war is going on and you've decided to not be totally allied with either person. You're just stuck in the middle. That's what's going on spiritually. You know, when you don't totally sell out to one side, you're stuck in the middle. And if Satan hates God as much as the Bible shows us he hates God, then he's not just, he's not just attacking God, he's attacking God's stuff. And the easiest thing he can get to is someone who's in limbo. Someone who's, someone who's made that start to say, no, Satan, I don't want anything you got anymore, but hasn't totally completely sold out because listen big dreams require big choices 
this is not how God intended you to live, but, but, but I see you living. I see you struggling like this, and, 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 and I believe many of you sitting here today, something up there on, on this slide right now, something up there sounds familiar, looks familiar to you, but that was not God's intent. Let, let me take you to the first scripture for today, okay? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. This is why he, Jesus, is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under that first covenant. A lot of things are going on right here, but I, I, I want to draw your attention to something at the very beginning of this verse that through Jesus, he's the mediator, we have a new covenant. You know, it's like the Bible, you know, is divided into two parts. The first two-thirds is, is the Old Testament. It's an old covenant. And the last third is a New Testament or a new covenant. And, and we got this new covenant because Jesus was the mediator. He was God who became man, and so he mediated between us. What good is a new covenant if I'm going to live my old life? What good is a new covenant if I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to just stumble in my sin every day like they did in the Old Testament? I mean, they, they had connection to God, but they could never be free, like this says, free from that penalty of sin. They can never be free from that. So what good was it for Christ to come and give us a new covenant unless something changes? What good is a new covenant Unless I'm walking in new joy, and I'm walking in new power, and I'm walking in new peace, and I'm walking in new success, and I'm walking in new purpose, and I'm walking in new life, what good is a new covenant unless I have all that? And every bit of that, every bit of that has been given to us through Jesus Christ. But if there's even one little place, if there's even one little place, we've got to move it, we've got to make some choices because... Big dreams require big choices. And it's not enough to attend a church that believes in Jesus and preaches Jesus. That's a great start, but that's not enough. It's not enough to sit in the middle of a crowd of people that believe Jesus and preach Jesus. I mean, the fact that a church believes in Jesus makes them i got to preach Jesus, right? But as a Christian, individually, when I get to the place where I believe Jesus, that means I've also got to act in some way. Something is going to happen because I believe in Jesus. It is not enough for you to just, just attend a great, and there are a lot of great churches. It's not enough, though, for you to attend a great church that believes in Jesus. You also have to believe in Jesus, and then you've got to make some big, hard choices. Some big, hard choices. You've got to make those. Okay. Now, in our church, we've had, we've had a lot of people making big choices. The last four years, we've had 20 couples make the choice to get married. You know, and that's all. That just seems like a given. Like, it's going to happen in life, right? But you know what? Individually, it's a pretty big decision. You have decided to never be single again. That's a pretty big decision. You have decided that you will never unilaterally make choices the rest of your life that you are going to have another person help you make all your choices. Not being single, that's a big decision. 
Some of you have changed jobs, and changing jobs is not like, you know, you just drive to a different parking lot. You have to sometimes get training. You have to, have to go for, go for a, a, a credentialing in some way or some kind of license. And, and you know, to do that, as, as some of you have done in the last couple of years even, to do that is a big choice to step into an unknown because you don't know. You, you're making all these changes. Some of you are making choices like to have children. That's a big choice. Because when you choose to have children, you are choosing to never sleep, vacation, eat dinner, or even go to the restroom with the same level of normalcy that you had before. It's a big decision, right? So we know how to make these big decisions, but then we kind of back off. We get into a, the spirit realm, and, and it's like, well, he's done all of it, hasn't he? Well, he, he did enough to get you here, but he, he's expecting some more that's right there. Let me, let me tell you, I'll give you an example. Let me tell you this story, and maybe this will be an example for you to kind of understand where we're going with this sermon. I have a, he's a friend of mine now, pastored him years ago, not at 2911, so don't look around, okay? Uh, years ago, pastored him, and and uh, he came to me one day mad at God, mad at God. And you know, here's what he was mad about, is because his children, who were now teenagers, were turning their back on God. They were, he was losing them. He didn't accept it as inevitable, and he wanted it to change, and he had done what he thought would require God to rescue his kids and bring them back home. You know what he did? He, told, he sat there and he told me. He was mad at God. And he said, I, God's still not reaching my kids. He said, every, he said I, have, I have done what I think I need to do. He said, I, every time there's an event here, I'm here early to set up tables and chairs. I hang around afterwards. I put the tables up. I put the chairs up. I sweep and mop whatever needs to be done. And I have, I have set up tables and chairs and swept every time we had something for the last two years. And God still hadn't reached my kids. He was making the little choices but he wasn't making the big choices. He was not making the big choices of discipline and of accountability to teach his kids what really they needed to understand. He was rescuing them every time they would make a stupid, boneheaded decision instead of allowing them to pay. He would, he would just jump in. So he was teaching them that he's always going to be there. So they never, they never saw that they also had to have faith in Jesus themselves. We have to make big decisions. And if there's any area of our life, the next slide kind of talks about several, the next little bit at the bottom. If there's any area of our life that nothing is changing and, it need, and something needs to change, then it's time to make some big decisions. Because the little ones we've been making up to this point have changed nothing. It's time to do something different. So let's talk about some of those this morning, okay? Because we've been talking about dream home, how to have a dream home and, and all of that. I, I, I want to I revisit. Two weeks ago, we talked about raising kids. I, I, I want to talk about that for just a moment, okay? You know, when, when Deva and I first started having kids, we, uh, we weren't much beyond our kid years ourselves, you know? And, uh, and you know what? We didn't sit down and say, okay, what is going to be our number one goal? We didn't sit down and say that. But I don't really know exactly how it happened, but we had the same number one goal. 
I, I don't really know exactly, but, but when we started, our kids started coming along, and then now our grandkids, we've had the same goal, the number one. Now, now, now what is the number one goal? Don't put it up there yet. <laughs> okay. What is the number one goal? Let me tell you something. This afternoon, I think at 4 o'clock, I am going to a cello recital for my nine-year-old grandson. You know, don't you love those? I got, I got a friend, he said, yeah, I love going to those Christmas, those Christmas uh, uh, recitals and everything. And, they, you know, they get up there and they play, nah, 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 right? Yeah. And then we clap, oh, that's so awesome and everything, right? You know, and so I'm going to a cello recital this afternoon at 4 o'clock for a nine-year-old. You know, we have a pretty musical family, but nobody plays the cello. If you were to get into a time machine today and travel back to when Dave and I first started having kids or when our grandkids started being born, I guarantee you, if you ask us what our goals were for our kids, our family, cello was nowhere in the list. You know, I've offered to help Colin, but I've told him, I don't know how to play it, but I've been around a whole lot. Of, if I can help you in some way, I know notes and I, and I can find them right there. You know, we'll, we'll do it. And I've tried to help. It was not on my list because, listen. 200 years from now, I don't think I'll be concerned about how good a cellist Colin is. I don't think I will be concerned with how well that oldest granddaughter, Brooklyn, can dance, even though I am extremely, extremely jealous of her, that she can move like that, and I don't even know how to even get started. 200 years from now, I am not going to be concerned with which school offered them an athletic scholarship. A couple hundred years from now, when I'm dead, and my kids are dead, and my grandkids are dead, there's going to be one thing that's going to be important. And I pray you also embrace what Dave and I have made our goal for our family. You want to know what it is? Here it is. Right here. Okay, now you're going to think. A Christian parent's number one goal should be to spend eternity with their children. Nothing else is going to matter 200 years from now. Nothing. Not a single thing. So this has got to be the thing that we do. Well, how do we do that, Rick? How, how are we going to make this happen? I'm glad you asked. Okay, so next slide, please. The best way to ensure that happens is to help them know Jesus intimately. Now, couple of things right here. I didn't say a, a Christian parent's number one wish. You know what a wish is? I wish, you know, I'm hoping all my kids, grandkids end up with me in eternity with God and all that. I'm no, no, I didn't say goal. I didn't say, I didn't say, I'm sorry, I didn't say wish. I didn't say hope. I said goal. A goal is something you work toward. So what is the work that we do? We've got to make sure they know Jesus intimately. I'm not talking about knowing about Jesus. I'm not talking about hearing his name because probably they're going to hear his name just as much in vain in their life as they're going to hear it any other way. I'm not talking about hearing his name. I'm talking about knowing him intimately. That's the best way to make sure that you get to spend eternity with your children. Well, how, are we going to, how do I do that? How do I make sure they know Jesus? I'm glad you asked. Glad you asked, because I got the answer right here. And the way to do that is to make Jesus a priority in their life right now. Not one day. Not someday. Well, when they, when they become teenagers, I'm going to stick them in the teens group, and Justin, 
and all his workers, they're going to fix them. See, I, I know that's the way we think because I used to be a youth pastor and I used to have them all dumped on me. Here, fix them, pastor. No, make it priority with them right now. Well, well how do you do that, Pastor Rick? Man, y'all are asking all the right questions, you know, this morning. I'm having to help you a little bit, but you're asking all the right questions. So, so let me set this up before we go to this next slide, okay? Because if this right here is your goal, if this slide, if this is, if this is what you want to see as a parent, as a grandparent, aunt, uncle, as an older brother, even over, over your little, an older sister, even over your, your uh, little brothers and little sisters, if this is what you want to see, then the next slide is going to help you see maybe where we need to maybe bone up on some things, you know, and, and make some things a little bit better. And the reason I'm saying that is because if you, if you don't care about this whatsoever, then you're probably going to just get a little agitated when we look at this next slide. Because some of you are going to say, well, he's trying to tell me, he's trying to say that we don't know what I'm trying to help you do is I'm trying to help you spend eternity with your children. So let me give you some questions. You asked me some good questions the last few minutes, even though you probably didn't realize you were thinking those things. I just had to elicit it out of you, right? But let me, let me throw some questions at you. Let's go to this next slide together. In your home, does Jesus look like Lord, leftovers, or something in between? What's he look like? Now, don't get ahead because I really want you to read that one. I want you to think about it just a second. Okay, but I didn't, want, I didn't want to make this long and drawn out, so that's why I put it all on one slide. Think about that. Or, do you treat Sunday worship as an awesome, deeply moving, powerful, and fulfilling opportunity? Or just another option? Based on what they see in your life, would your kids say Jesus is someone to be worshipped or someone to be worked in when convenient? Are we thinking? Hmm. Would your kids say Jesus is part of your life or the center of your life? Wow. Wow. Not, not just the way I feel it or think it, but actually what they see. Does my life exemplify that? When it comes to your home, is Jesus a guest or his, is he the architect? We'll come back to that one in just a minute, so I won't spend a lot of time there. Is biblical literacy a goal in your home or something that other families do? Biblical literacy. It's not as important that they memorize, but that they grasp the message of what the Word of God says. Is your home sitting on a foundation of faith in Jesus that can stand any storm, or is your home at the mercy of whatever circumstances hit you this week? Because if it's the first, then you are teaching your kids to no matter what comes your way, no matter what battles you have, that we are on a foundation of faith in Jesus Christ that is going to help us weather this storm. That's what happens. Can you do me a favor, Kevin? Would you back up one slide? Take me to that. Because I want to remind you, okay? In case you think I was meddling too much on that other slide, I want to remind you, I'm not talking, if you think I'm meddling, I, I'm obviously not talking to you because I'm talking to the people that want this to happen. And if this is what you want to happen, back to that other slide for me, Kevin, if you want this to happen, these are the things that you've got to take into consideration. Back it up again, Kevin, one more time, one more time. You see, you see this is the big dream. But the big dream requires, now go back to it again, Kevin. The big dream requires big choices. 
And if you want that big dream in your kids and in your eternity with them, then you're going to have to make the big choices. So let's, let us ask, you know, the next slide here now, drop that in. What choices do you need to make in your home to raise kids that you will spend eternity with? See, that's the big choices because it's a big dream. To get my kids into eternity with Jesus, it's a big dream. And it's going to require big choices. Because big dreams require big choices. And not just that one. Let's talk about some more. What about friendships? You say, wait a minute. I thought we were talking about dream home. You know, here, here's a problem. Here's one of the problems we have with friendships. It's because we feel like that we can have all these friendships separate from our home life and separate from uh, the, this dream home that God wants to build us. No, they're going to impact. Let me give you three questions here about friendships, okay? Making big choices. Three questions. Here's the first one. Who are you in the elevator with? Okay? Let's use ele an elevator as a simile, as a metaphor, as whatever it is that it's supposed to be called, right? Uh, the elevator is, who are you in the elevator with? Have you ever been in an elevator going up many, many, many floors? You know, you're going way up high, and all the way up, you know, people are coming and going. They get on the second floor, get off the fourth floor. Somebody gets on the third floor, gets off the eighth floor. Somebody gets on, you know, the next floor and gets off or whatever. And so you're kind of meeting people as they come and go. But maybe you get on an elevator one time, you're going up many, many floors, and someone is in the elevator with you the whole time. That's the person you're riding the elevator with. You're not just meeting them in the elevator, you're riding the You understand the metaphor now of what I'm asking? Who are you in the elevator with? Not just who are, you, who are you meeting and greeting, but who are you really riding in the elevator with? Who are the people that are in your life that you're riding the elevator? Here's the second question. Are you going up or down? As a Christian, every, it, it should always be your goal. As a Christian, every one of your relationships, and I started to say relationships, but I was afraid everybody just think about romance. I'm talking about friendships too. That every one of your friendships is an uplifting one is raising you up. Now, I know some people say, well then, I'll never reach out to someone who is worse off than me. No, that's not what I'm saying. Because if they're riding the elevator with you, you're the Christian, you're the strong one, you're supposed to make sure that we're still going up. You got, you got to make sure that you're bringing them up instead of them bringing you down. Right? And here's the third question. Is, does the relationship make you a better spouse a better parent, a better neighbor, a better friend, a better employee, a better employer. Does that relationship do that? Because and there's a couple of scriptures, and we won't take time to read them, but the two scriptures right there t teach us, again, that our relationships matter because they help us or they drag us down. And so we have to ask, ask these questions. Who's the, who's, who are we riding the elevator with? And are we going up or are we going down? And how is this impacting? And listen, if, if any of those answers that you answer to that are questionable in any of your relationships and your friendships, you need to reevaluate that friendship. And if, and, if, and if that friendship is not making you a better spouse or a better parent or a better neighbor in your community, like Jeff was preaching last week, hitting on that last week, if, if it's not helping you become what you're supposed to become. You need to reevaluate that and consider, wait a minute, it's time for me to step off this elevator and get somewhere else because it is impacting other parts of your life. And it's not so much that we need to cut people out of our lives. It's that we need to make sure the relationships are in their proper frame, in the proper context, that they're going up and not down. Here's another one. The Jesus decision. 
if you're a Christian, you've already made one Jesus decision, but the problem is some of us don't realize that there's another decision to make. And not for salvation. Salvation's easy. Salvation's free because Jesus already done that. He died for your sin. That's taken care of. Romans 10, 9 and 10 basically says if you believe Jesus is exactly who he says he is and you're willing to tell somebody that, just say it out loud with your mouth to somebody, that's all it takes to become a Christian because being a Christian is about the faith that you have inside of you and acting on that. So that's the decision that most of us in this room have probably made, that Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my Savior. I believe he is exactly who he says he is. And if, if you haven't done that yet, then you can do that right here, right now, and choose because he is dreaming a big, huge, bodacious, and audacious dream for your life. And he wants to bring that to pass, but the very first step is that one, is it the most simple one. But there's another decision to make. Matthew 6, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Not just ask him to forgive you of your sins and to provide eternal life to you, but seek the kingdom of God above everything else. Not just the salvation, but his whole kingdom. His kingdom that is a kingdom of peace and of joy and of love. Seeking the whole kingdom. Because here's what we do. Remember that architect thing a few minutes ago? I said, we'll come back to it. Here we're coming back to it, okay? Because here's what we do a lot of times. Is we build the house, and then we invite company over, right? And Jesus is part of that company. We build our house, and then we say, hey, Jesus, I built, built my life here, you know, got everything right. Would you just come in for a little while, just kind of check things out, see if there's any, you know, it's kind of like we invite somebody over for dinner and uh, we say, hey, by the way, while you're here, you know a little something about electricity. Would you come and look at a plug for me? It's almost like that's the way we do Jesus. We create our lives. We say, here it is. Now, Jesus, can you fix anything here? Is there any, you know, there's some things that aren't quite right. Can you fix that? And we're what Jesus really needs to be in our life is the architect. Don't invite him in after everything is done. I mean, because you, 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 know you know what's likely to happen. You know, we just finished building a house. I say we finished. I've still got some things to, to, to tweak and finish up, but we just finished building a house. You know, we've got one door that's been in four different places. And that's what happens when you don't invite the person with the know-how to be the architect. You know, you, you'll end up moving. You, know, you, build that, you build that house, you build that dream home, you build that life, you build that vocation, you build all that without bringing Jesus into the mix, and then all of a sudden you start having problems. You say, Jesus, i got to have some help. And he's, you know what? He's, he's going to show up, and he's, he may have to tear a wall down. He may have to rip up some carpet. He may have to say, this doesn't go here because this is your problem right here because we didn't invite him in as the architect. Make the choice to incorporate Jesus into your whole life, not just your eternal life. I mean, that's, I think that's what most of us do. We've, we've invited Jesus in to be the, our Lord and Savior for eternity, but we've not invited him in to be the architect of what's going on in our world right now. And, and I'll tell you again, I say it a lot of times, I'll tell you again, the reason is because he knows stuff I don't know. You know, we were just talking about it right before service, you know, when I was looking for land, and I, and I was saying, God, take, a, take us to the land that you see, because God, you know stuff I don't know. You know where all the hog farms are going to be 10 years from now. 
you know, and, and keep, you know, keep me away from the place where a hog farm's about to go in, right? You know, God knows that kind of stuff. You know what's going to sell to, to someone who is not going to be a good neighbor. Someone, lots of reasons. Jesus knows stuff that I don't know. So involve him in everything. Don't invite him in as a guest at the end of the, of the building process. Have him be part of the architecture, of the planning. Of the, and, and, and the way you do that, next slide, the way you do that is to make this choice to pray about everything. Love this scripture right here, Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything. Man, some of y'all needed to hear that today, didn't you? Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Because the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. That's a promise right there. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And you say, wait, but wait a minute, it's not happening. Maybe there's something you need. Are, are you praying? Are you praying earnestly? Are you praying deep and with depth? And, and are you trying to live a righteous life? Because that, that's the other thing that's in there. There's some if before the then. You know, so if, you, if you're just in that limbo where you've accepted salvation, but you've not invited Jesus in to be the architect and help you really build this life out, then you might not be at the place that you can, be the, that you can deliver an earnest prayer from a righteous perspective. So make sure you're doing that. Buy into all of it. Whole hog, jump in, both feet, everything you've got. Sold out to Jesus that he is the one about everything. And i gotta, I got to tell you this. This has been in my notes for a long time. I've been waiting to use it. And I could use it right now. If you ain't going to pray about it, then don't gripe about it. You know, as a pastor, I've seen it so many times. Man, people griping about stuff. They won't, they won't, they won't even ask you for prayer. Just mad and everything. And, if you're not going to pray about it, then why gripe about it? If it's important enough to gripe about, it's important enough to pray about. You've been listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. If you have a prayer need, our prayer team and staff would love to pray with you. You can send us your prayer request by using the email address prayer at church2911.com. If you would like to know more about our church, including information about our weekly services, please check out church2911.com. Thank you for listening. We hope you know that God has an amazing dream for you. And as always, we dare you to dream.